Bibles with you tonight. Would you open them, please, to two scriptures? The first is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 7. And then the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 11. Luke, chapter 2, verse 7. John, chapter 1, verse 11. Tonight we're beginning a brand new series of sermons entitled, Help for the Hurting. Life is full of hurts. That's nothing that you don't already know. Some of you might even be hurting tonight. We're going to be looking in the weeks to come at what God would have us to do with these hurts. And we're going to be looking at a lot of different hurts. So if I don't get your hurt tonight, you come back next week. I might get it, but I promise you we're going to cover a lot of ground. And I hope this will be beneficial to you. Because many times when we get hurt, all we want to do is put a band-aid on the hurt. God wants us to be healed of the hurt. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. A verse that talks about the first Christmas. Talks about Joseph and Mary as she's expecting delivery of her first baby, whose name will be Jesus. And Mary brought forth her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in the manger, because there was no room. Think about that. There was no room for them, speaking of Joseph and her, in the end. And in John chapter 1, verse 11, speaking of Jesus, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He offered himself to his own, and his own received him not. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, Joseph and Mary are rejected. In John chapter 1, verse 11, our Lord and Savior is rejected. Is there help for you and I tonight to have been rejected? Rejection. The denial of ourselves by other people, especially those who matter the most to us. Rejection that causes us to have feelings of unworthiness, hopelessness, shame, despair, and anguish. A pain that goes deep into our soul, a pain like nothing else perhaps we have ever had or ever will have again. Rejection. Somebody tells us that we're not wanted. We're not wanted because we don't measure up to their standard. They have sized us up, and they're not interested. Psychologists tell us that the pain of rejection is the greatest pain you and I will ever face in this world. 
It's even greater than grief and sorrow. Joseph and Mary have experienced the pain of rejection as we look at the first Christmas. They come to the innkeeper, they knock on the door, they say, Sir, could we have a room? My wife's expecting a baby. We desperately need a place to stay. And the innkeeper sizes them up. They're poor. They're pregnant. They're peasants. If I give them a place to stay in my inn, they're not going to be able to pay the bill. Plus, she's going to have a baby here. Then I've got to take care of not only these two freeloaders, but this baby as well. I don't want them. He rejects them. Sends them out to the barn, you might say. Says, find yourself a room with the animals. I have no room for you. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever heard those words? Have you ever heard those words? I have no room for you. 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 Have you ever heard those words from a spouse? I want a divorce. I have no room for you in my life. Have you ever heard those words from a coach? You've been cut. I have no room for you on this team. Have you ever heard those words from a parent or a grandparent? Go away. I'm too busy for you. I have no room for you right now. Have you ever heard those words from a classmate? You can't come to my party. We don't have room for you. Have you ever heard those words from an employer? You're terminated. This place has no job for you anymore. Have you ever heard those words from a child? I can't come see you. I have no room for you in my life. I've got other people to see and places to go and things to do. I'm sorry. Have you ever heard those words from a church member? You can't sit in this seat. I have no room for you on my pew. Go somewhere else. Have you ever heard those words from supposedly a friend? We could only invite a few. You do understand. You're not one of them. We have no room for you at the baby shower. We have no room for you in the wedding. We have no room for you. Those are words that cut to the core of our soul. 
And if you have any life experience under your belt, you have heard those words before. Does the Lord Jesus understand that? Does he understand how it feels to be rejected? May I say to you, yes, he does. Because he himself was rejected. He came unto his own. He said, here I am. I'm your Messiah. I'm your Savior. I'm the Lord. I'm the one that the prophets of the Old Testament spoke of. I am here. And what did they say? We don't want you. We have sized you up. You're not our Messiah. You're not our Savior. You're not our Lord. You're an imposter. We don't want you. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was rejected by men. He went back to his own hometown and they wanted to kill him. They rejected him. Judas Iscariot, one of his 12 disciples, a trusted friend, rejected him, put a knife in his back. And you know, the sad thing about it is, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord Jesus is still being rejected today. It's not a past tense rejection. It's, he's still being rejected, even, even today in the present. In Revelation chapter 3, it says, Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. Can you picture your house and outside the door of your house, Jesus stands knocking. And the Bible says he stands outside the door and knocks at the house of our lives and asks if he might come in. And the implication is we will not let him in. We peek out the curtain. We look through the peephole. Oh, it's Jesus. Don't answer the door. Because we're not interested in him. We're going to reject him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that make that choice. In other words, they reject Jesus and they perish. What I'd like to do tonight in our time remaining is share with you some helpful things that if you've ever been rejected, I hope that will help bring healing to you. The first thing I want to share with you, and there'll be six principles, and we'll go through them quickly. The first thing we need to do if we're battling with this hurt of rejection is we need to focus on the fact that we are accepted in Jesus. We need to focus on the fact that while nobody else may accept us, they might reject us. We are accepted in the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, He has made us acceptable unto himself. You might be rejected down here, 
but he will never reject you up there. The people of this world might reject you, but the creator of everything will not reject you. The Savior of whosoever will come will not reject you. The Lord of all will not reject you. The true and the living God will not reject you. The Bible says he accepts us unconditionally. He has a chair at his table for you and for me. You say, but pastor, I'm poor. He accepts you. Pastor, I'm uneducated. He accepts you. Pastor, I'm not attractive. He accepts you. Pastor, I've got a past. He accepts you. Pastor, I'm a sinful man. He accepts you. Pastor, I'm a nobody. He accepts you. I'm a broken piece of junk. He accepts you. I'm a failure. He accepts you. It doesn't matter who you are. He loves you and he accepts you. He knows you and he loves you. He knows you and he accepts you. He knows you and he will keep you. Oh, what a Savior. He accepts the junk of this world and makes it a treasure for himself. Tonight, if you've been rejected, may I suggest that you take your eyes off the horizontal and look at the vertical. My family, my friends, my schoolmates, my workmates, my playmates, they've rejected me at times, but he never will. Second principle I hope that you will find helpful is understand your identity in the Lord Jesus who accepts you. The problem with many of us is we let other people define who we are. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? What other people say about you? What you think about yourself? Or what God says about you? It's easy to feel discouraged and rejected when you listen to what the world says about us. It's easy to be discouraged and rejected when we look at our own selves and how we've messed up so many times. So when you look in the mirror, cast your eyes upon Jesus. What does he say about you? Because remember, he accepts you. What does he say about you? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says he says. He says that you're a new creation. He says that you're a child of God. That you have been justified. You are a friend of God. That you are an inheritor of promises that will all work together for your good. You're a sweet fragrance unto him. You are his temple. You are the righteousness of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You're holy without blame. You're blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're fully alive in Him. You are loved by Him with an everlasting love. You're secure. He has made promises to you He will keep. He loves you. He's adopted you into His royal family. 
He's accepted you. You're chosen by God. You have access to God through him. You'll never be alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. You're more than a conqueror in him that first loves you. He will forgive you of all sins, and he will take those sins that he forgives, and he will forget them. He puts them into the sea of forgetfulness and takes them as far as the east is from west and will remember them no more. He has a plan and purpose for your life. He has given you the mind of himself. He's given you his power. He's given in your peace. He said, I'll never abandon you. Wow. That's who we are in him. So if you've been rejected, understand you're accepted by him. If this world tries to define you in its own terms, or you look at yourself and try to define you in your own terms of rejection, understand he does not see you and die that way. He does not. Focus on the Lord Jesus. Understand who you are in him. And it will turn your pouting into shouting. Hurts into hallelujahs. You're moaning and groaning. And to thank you, Lord. Thirdly, learn to control your reactions to rejection. You can't control the actions of other people. You can't control what they're going to say to you. You can't control how they're going to act towards you. You can't. But what we can control is our reaction to their action. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 7 through 11, you might want to write that down, look at those verses a little bit later. There's an interesting story about King Saul and David. David has done some heroic things as a soldier in King Saul's army. David comes back to a ticker tape parade. He's a hero. He has served his king well. He's won victories. He's turned back the enemy. He's valiantly fought on the battlefield. And as the ticker tape parade is going through the hometown, the people are shouting. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites are shouting. You know what they're saying? Our king, King Saul, he has slayed thousands. But David, his soldier, has slain Tens of thousands. Praise be to Saul, but double praise be to David. In other words, King Saul has been what? Rejected. At least that's the way he perceives it. His own people have rejected him, and they're showing favor on this little snotty-nosed brat. Well, King Saul is angry. He 
becomes filled with hatred as we talked about this morning. And in that hatred, he wants to kill David and he will spend the rest of his life trying to do it. You see, Saul could not control what the people said. He perceived it to be rejection. I don't believe it was, but that's what he believed. But he could have controlled his reaction to it, and he didn't. It wasn't the rejection that poisoned Saul spiritually. It was his reaction to the rejection that did it. The hatred, the rage, the darkness, the demonic things that came into his life that he allowed to come into his life. You see, there's two ways you and I can respond to rejection. We can lash out at those who give it to us, or we can give forgiveness. Saul could have said, listen, those people are just caught up in the moment. They love me. They love David. They're not trying to slight me in order to praise him. I understand that. It's not a rejection. And even if it is, I forgive them. I'm the king. He could have done that, but he chose not to do it. He chose to take his perceived rejection and turn it into vengeance, vindictiveness, the settlement of a grudge against his own people, but particularly against David. We cannot control what other people do, but we can control how we respond to what they do. And that includes rejection. Fourthly, if you want rejection to heal, you focus on the Lord Jesus, not on others. You understand who you are in the Lord Jesus, not what others say you are or you even you think you are. You control your reaction to the rejection of others. Fourthly, you don't read into the rejection what's not true. People who are rejected often have other issues to go with it, self-esteem issues. That rejection lowers them, causes them to feel worthless, inadequate, failures. And Satan loves to work on the minds of people. The Bible says the devil is a liar and he's a murderer. He deceives you that he can destroy you. That's his modus operandi. Has always been, will always be. So the devil likes to play with our minds, particularly when we're hurting. And when you're hurting from rejection, he plays with your mind. And he tries to tell you, things that may not be true about the rejection, so he can push you further and further down and then grind you with his foot. Perhaps your spouse tells you that they want a divorce. There's no room for you. But that doesn't mean they're saying to you, you're a terrible husband or wife. Maybe it's just saying to you, I'm tired of this relationship and I'm moving on. I know that's painful, but they're not saying you're a terrible person. 
And yet, but Satan will tell you that. My husband, my wife, they rejected me because I'm a terrible person. I'm just a terrible person. You might be a wonderful person. You get cut from the team. The coach isn't saying to you, you can't play basketball. He's not saying to you, you can't play football. He's just saying right now, I don't have a spot on the team for you, but maybe next year there will be. You see, don't allow it to be more than it is. I don't have time for you. Maybe one of your family members say that, but they're not saying they don't love you. Don't walk around and say, well, they don't have time for me because they don't love me. They might love you, but they just don't have time. As painful as that is, maybe that's the truth. You can't come to the party. Well, I can't come to the party because nobody likes me. Listen, they might like you. Maybe they, maybe there is a guest limitation, and you just got on the cutoff list. That doesn't mean they don't like you. You get terminated from work. That doesn't mean you're a lousy worker. But that's what the devil will tell you. If you'd have just done your job better, you'd be still a job. You're just a lousy worker. I can't see you. That doesn't mean you're a sorry parent or grandparent if you say that to your children or grandchildren at a moment. You can't sit on my pew. That doesn't mean you're fat and ugly. Because Satan will tell you, if you're 36, 24, 36, you could sit on this pew. You see, the devil gets in your mind and he starts telling you more than there is. I'm not trying to minimize rejection. But what I am saying is sometimes we allow our minds to race and we start trying to figure out why we were rejected, and we just lower ourselves further and further into the hole. The devil's wonderful at doing that. Don't allow it to happen. Yes, we get rejected. Why we get rejected, I don't always know the reason. So don't try to create a reason where there is no reason. And push yourself further into the hole. Fifthly, if you want to get over rejection, and we've got to speed it up and close it, you need to have a friend for support. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Well, how can you comfort someone and edify someone if you're not with someone? The idea is we need a friend. When you go through life's hurts, whether it be rejection or any other hurts we'll talk about, you need to have a friend. A lady needs to have a lady friend. A man needs to have a man friend. Opposite sex friends are not good. But you need to have a same sex friend. Somebody that has time for you. Time to listen. Someone who has time for you. Time to touch and hug you. Do you know hugging is therapeutic? The prestigious Mayo Clinic 
that normally doesn't get into psychology and sociology or spiritual things. They just pretty much deal with medicine. Do you know that they have determined that hugs are good? That whenever somebody touches you and hugs you, it releases certain chemicals in your body that bring soothing and comforting to you. You need to have a friend who can listen to you, who can hug you, who can pray for you. Because God does hear and answer prayers. Do you have a friend like that? I dare say some of you ladies do. I would also dare say most of us men do not. And then the last thing I want to close with is we're talking about how we can have healing from rejection, healing from the hurts of life. Is we need to understand that rejection can be used for our good if it will make us better. When somebody rejects you, what do you do? Just hang your head, walk around, woe is me, and give up on life and quit? Or do you use that rejection, as hurtful as it is, to motivate you, to show them that they're wrong? You know that Oprah Winfrey, who I, who's not a Christian, by the way, but her life story is very fascinating. Do you know that she was rejected from television? Before she got her own television show and made millions upon millions upon millions of dollars off of it and became a household name, do you know TV rejected her? They said she didn't have the right look for television. She'd be better behind the camera than in front of it. Can you imagine somebody telling you that? That's what they told her. Fred Astaire, many of you older folks remember Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? Hollywood actors and dancers, before there was others. They were kind of the first, if you will. Do you know Fred Astaire, who, who became a great actor and, and even a greater dancer? Do you know that Hollywood rejected him? When he first came to Hollywood, that he was told, you can only act a little bit, and you can't dance at all. And by the way, Fred Astaire created many of the moves that today's singers use. You know, Elvis borrowed a little bit from Fred Astaire. Michael Jackson, who did that moonwalk. Do you know Fred Astaire did the moonwalk back in the 30s? But he couldn't dance, according to Hollywood. Steven Spielberg, do you know he wanted to go to the theatrical school? And do you know he was rejected four times because he didn't have enough imagination? <laughs> do you know Elvis Presley was rejected by the Grand Ole Opry? In fact, one of the Opry officials said, you need to go back and drive a truck. You're never going to make it singing. Rejection. Michael Jordan was rejected playing on the JV team of his local high school. 
He was told he didn't have the ability to play basketball. Beethoven, Keith, was rejected as a composer. They said he didn't, he was hopeless. He could, could never compose anything. Beethoven. Walt Disney was rejected as a newspaper reporter because he didn't have enough creativity and imagination behind the stories. Now, none of these perhaps were Christians, but you don't have to be a Christian to hurt, do you? And every one of these were rejected. You know what they did with that rejection? They used it as a motivation to prove the rejectors wrong. You look at the Bible people who were rejected, God used their rejection to show them they could do things better and to be better, and they did. How about you? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.